Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that aims to hold space for conversation about the ways we use fiber to process life and world events. I'm your host, Ani Lee. My interest in fiber goes back to childhood, when I'd pore over bedding catalogs and obsess over fiber content and thread count. My mother, bless her, taught me to knit at age 10, and I've fallen increasingly in love with all things fiber ever since. I started the Close Knit Podcast in 2016, and I've had the pleasure and privilege of speaking to over 50 incredible people since then. On this podcast, you'll hear from all kinds of folks who share a love of fibers, from full-time practicing artists to those whose main practice is mending their garments. I'm interested in hearing and sharing as many people's stories and experiences with fiber as I possibly can, because I believe each of these unique stories is powerful and teaches us more about how humans use fiber to make sense of the world around us. This podcast is supported by a very special community on Patreon. Pledging just $5 a month there helps me keep Close-Knit up and running by covering hosting and streaming costs and paying my wonderful editor. I cannot thank you all enough for your support, as it's what enables me to sustainably continue this work. So if you've ever enjoyed an episode, please consider pledging your support at patreon.com slash closeknit. That's www.patreon.com slash closeknit. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I am here with Carolina Jimenez. Carolina is a Mexican-American textile artist and designer living in Brooklyn. She is currently the creative director at Caroline Z. Hurley and also maintains an art practice. She makes monuments, memory signifiers, vessels into which the past is poured, molded or reshaped, woven, unraveled, or stretched. These monuments reference the body, my body, and yours, they speak to the magnificence of our daily lived experience and the monumentality of the mundane. That particularly the final sentence, the final part of the sentence, monumentality of the mundane. I just like, that was such a, like, it felt so nice. I, I feel like there's this poem about kind of teaching your children to delight in the ordinary and the extraordinary will take care of itself. And I I feel like that sort of sentiment is very much captured in what you said there, the, the monumentality of the mundane. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, our lives, I feel like are just made up of little tiny moments and that's what I want my work to like capture is the beauty in all of those little things. And like, yeah, there's things that, you know, we've talked about this before, but that they just like move you so much in the moment where it's like, I want to be able to share that with people and help them reflect a bit on like, what are those moments in their lives? Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks for being here today. Oh, I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, I'm super glad. It's so funny. There are people who I like really want to talk to you and have on my like, you know, my mental list of who I want to speak to for literal years. And for some reason, I'll like get mentally blocked and be like, but I couldn't like, (laughs) would she want to? I don't know. But I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm glad I pushed past that dumb fear because yeah, I've been very excited. So what, what did your day look like today? Cause you were at work, right? Yeah. So I usually just, well, now with the pandemic, um, yeah. have been going into work one day a week. I'm part-time. So I work Tuesday through Thursday at Caroline C. Hurley. Um, but this week I went in twice because recently with Caroline being on maternity leave, she's coming back or is like transitioning back right now. Um, I've been taking on more of the creative director role, which is really Mm -hmm. exciting. So I was in studio block printing and coming up with colorways for some designs that Caroline has already made that we're like sending to our partners who we have like a collaboration with. And yeah, so I was just sitting in our studio in Red Hook painting and looking at fabric and seeing like new things that we got in we're doing a collaboration with Ozma. I don't know if you know them. Oh yeah, yeah. totally. So we're doing like a silk scarf and that oh. helped design. So that's coming in. And yeah, that's what I was doing today. 
That's so cool. That's so freaking cool. <laughs> I was painting and doing cool textiles things. For people who don't know who Caroline Z. Hurley is, what what is the work like? Um, so Caroline is a painter. She studied at RISD and she kind of started her business kind of by by chance, I guess. Mm. Um, she started painting on linen and she was selling them like throws. And then she was like working as a preschool teacher and doing that and had an art practice. And she decided she wanted to like sell them. So like, she's also just fascinating. Then she started making like products and the business has just been growing for like seven years. So now we're doing like fabric by the yard and products but we might be like transitioning away from that to focus more on like her art practice and the fabric Mm. um because it feels like two places where there's a lot of growth cool very cool yeah well I'll catch us back up to you know present day but I always like to ask and kind of start the conversation with um what's your earliest memory of of textiles or, or fiber in your life you know I I always like to make stuff so anytime like I remember in second grade we had like a little weaving project I remember that one I remember our trips to Mexico when we were growing up like every other year my family like my parents and my sister and I we would go visit my grandma or you know my aunts and uncles and my grandma lives in Tuxla. So that's in Chiapas, which is like one of the most Southern states in Mexico. And there'd be women in like the parks and stuff, and they would be like weaving on their backstrap looms. Mm. And yeah, I think like we, we had like some of those pillows in our home and it just felt like I, I was always drawn to it, you know? Yeah. Um, my sister also like, she's really into textiles and she does some weaving herself too. And my mom's like, wow, it's really like in our blood. <laughs> Who would have thought, you know? Yeah. I mean, is it like, did your, do you have a memory of your mom or your grandmother or, or your father for that matter? I don't, you know, like, yeah. it's usually um, someone's maternal line, but it could be their paternal. <laughs> I mean, not really. Um, my mom, I mean, she always like made stuff for us. Like she made our Halloween costumes and she would sew that and I think she was also like really creative or is really creative, but um, she is now a nurse. And so like, she doesn't make as much anymore. Um, And my grandma was like a school teacher in rural Chiapas. And I don't know. I mean, she was the one who taught me how to embroider. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, But yeah, besides that, I think it's just something that I've kind of like been was circling around for a while and then finally decided to try out for myself at the end of college. Right. Okay. So when did your grandma teach you to embroider? Was that like as a kid? Yeah. As a kid, probably like around the same time. I really just, I loved, I loved anything that was like crafts. I liked jewelry making. I'm oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. You know, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> beads and those like friendship yes. bracelets. And- anything like I was into like scrapbooking and like card making. And my mom's like, you should sell your cards. I'm like, no, like I'm not going to sell my cards and like just everything. I think oh, like, yeah. I, I don't know, like if I'm not making, I get anxious, yeah. you know? I think yeah. I've always kind of been like that. Do you think as a kid too? Oh yeah, I'm yeah. definitely, definitely. Yeah. Looking back on it, I was telling Jeff, who's my husband, oh, I'm realizing now I was like a really anxious child and I didn't have like the words to talk about it. Like yes. not being able to go to sleep at night. And my parents were like, what's going on? I'm like, I can't sleep. And they're like, okay, well, you're not gonna be able to like drink your little half cup of like Coca-Cola. Cause that makes you like stay up. I'm like, that wasn't it. Like I was just anxious. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes, yeah. totally. I, I 100% relate to this. I've talked a lot and, and been thinking a lot the last year, particularly in conversations with my partner and therapist and, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> thinking aloud <laughs> kind of thing, like a lot 
a lot of the tendencies that I have and a lot of the the ways that I self-soothe were tactics that I developed mm-hmm. as a child mm. to, to self-soothe anxiety. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know that our parents' generation necessarily had the language or the tools or maybe just the language. I don't know. Mm-hmm. At least in my home, it didn't feel mm-hmm. like we had language for anxiety. Yeah. Like it feels like our generation maybe is starting to put words to it completely but I absolutely relate to that I had I was thinking the other day about packing for this trip um and I did it like two and a half weeks in advance and I know and it was like the clothing aspect of it yeah yeah reminded me of being a little girl and like I would be really nervous about going to school Mm -hmm. and I would like I would I would take out a chair and I would like put my outfit on the chair so that it was like in the right order and the (laughs) shoes were at the bottom and the pants were and you know the shirt me too oh my god yeah and I I don't know I mean I don't have this very strong memory of exactly what my rationale was for doing that but Mm -hmm. I remember feeling like maybe if I have this like it'll be better maybe if this thing is like maybe this one thing that I can control right then maybe the rest of it will feel a little bit easier yeah. And like the same thing with bed sheets. I had this like really a huge fashion fascination with with like flannel bed sheets and just things yeah. that like felt soft to the touch. And I just was like constantly researching <laughs> bedding options. And like if we ever went to Costco, I was like, could we get more bedding? Mom? <laughs> but I just, you know, in in reflecting on that as well, it's like, oh, it was very tactile. Mm-hmm. I you and I I it's find like self-soothing. It exactly. Yeah. Like I find myself whenever I have something difficult going on like touching my clothes a lot like Mm. if I'm in a meeting in work that I'm like struggling with I find myself like yeah like like grabbing onto my skirt and sort of like just just rubbing (laughs) basically yeah yeah it's so interesting and and like I don't know if you feel this way and I don't want to project that you do feel this way but like there's this part of me that like feels a little embarrassed or like a little upset with my former self that like I had either built this distraction tool and not ever thought about the underlying thing or like, or just like, just like sad for myself that like, I didn't, I didn't know that there was like something underlying. I just generally felt, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. I I do. I do. I mean, I think that's the case for like so many things. I was thinking about this because on the way home, I was listening to Code Switch and they were Mm. talking about like Latinx voters and like, you know, how Latinx people have like the lowest voter turnout. Mm. Um, And I was thinking like, yeah, like that's my story because like, you know, they were saying that when communities vote, like, it helps everyone do it. And um, my parents, like, they just became citizens, I guess, like, last year. They, they had their green cards for, you know, the whole rest of my life. Wow. Um, but, yeah, that's not something that, like, we talked about, really. Um, or I had, like, the model for, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was thinking, like, oh, that's so sad that, like, I didn't vote more, like when, at least like the first time I, I could have voted, like I didn't vote. Right. And it's like hard to not like judge that. But at the same time, it's like, well, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, right. So yeah, it's a balance of like accepting and learning. And right. Just- I think that like self-compassion piece, I I'm like so good at being like, yeah, for you, yeah, for me, exactly. like, no, <laughs> self-compassion, yeah. like, no, but for you, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Like love that for you. Yeah. For me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. My brain is like, didn't you know this already? Like you've been dealing with this for years and years. Yeah. Why haven't you figured this out? Well, you know, but it's, but I feel like the piece you're bringing up about the, the context and mm. the community around you, mm-hmm. like that piece is so important and not often. I'm glad that that's something they're talking about on Code Switch because I feel like yeah. that's not a piece that necessarily gets talked about, especially I feel like, you know, the voting rhetoric right now has been so just like go vote and it hasn't mm-hmm. like necessarily 
um, considered all of the factors that like enable a person to vote. Like yeah. it's, it's abnormal. I think, you know, it's not necessarily the case in this country that you like get some, you can just like take time off to go vote. Right. And you know, like, or like, do you even know how it works? Do you know how to register? Oh like, yeah. 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 Are you a, like, have like you so- had crime? Like, have you, have been convicted yeah. of a crime and like, can yeah. you not vote? Like it's so wild. And I was talking to my parents cause they voted, you know, in California and yeah. they're like there's so much to research like oh my god <laughs> they're, they're like all the props and I know that you encountered the same thing <laughs> it was bonkers <laughs> we were talking with my friend a Mainer today and and she was like what was on your what was on your ballot and we were like oh about 25 <laughs> props and she was like what and I was like yeah. yeah and all of them take like a fucking college education to be able to discern and even then mm-hmm. like I still can't figure out what's going on <laughs> and unless you have you're tracing the money and you're tracing like who's behind it and you're under and you know the history of the props right like you know Josh and I kind of each did our own separate research and then kind of a little bit divided and conquered mm-hmm. where I was like mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I understand this one these are the like recommendations I've gotten what do you think and we would kind yeah. of align and figure yeah. it out from there but if I didn't have like there, there was, there was some yeah. ballot fatigue. I'm, I'm actually really grateful that this year I had the opportunity because I've always voted in person prior to this, mm-hmm. or, or I guess last, is that true? I don't know. I guess middle, mid-season elections, I must have voted in person because before that I was in Australia. So I definitely yeah, yeah. voted by mail. In Australia. Yeah. Anyway, but I felt like it was nice this time to be like, I've got my ballot. I yes. can do my research. I've got my yes. ballot and can like, open my computer and like check that I still think this is the right decision. Yeah. Cause it was bonkers. There were so many props that were, that had like the most confusing language and that had like, you know, Uber putting like hundreds of millions of dollars into the advertising that was like totally disinforming. It was like, I just, you know, yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Well, I know there are the whole the whole system of voting in the United States is just like so broken and I don't think I realized the extent to which it was broken until moving to Australia Mm. and realizing like, oh, there's like multi-party systems. There's like ranked choice voting. Voting is mandatory. There's ranked choice voting. Yeah. Yeah. For a lot of the different, I don't know if it's true for parliament, but for like a lot of the different local offices, Mm -hmm. like there's ranked choice. There's um, yeah. The mandatory part is interesting because it's, uh, you like get fined if you don't vote. So like, not great. Don't love fines, but like wow. that there's like an incentive to vote. And I think wow. way more normal there for people to get paid time off. Like you just yes. get paid time off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It makes so much sense. I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Anytime I, I look at, I don't know if you follow Mona Chalabi, I think mm-hmm. is how her name is. First. Yeah. I, I like can't, anytime I see one of her posts, I'm like, I am devastated. <laughs> like the United States is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was also oh, listening man. to, I can't, I mean, this could go on forever. You could talk about this forever, <laughs> but just like the history of, of voting and like yeah. the electoral college. And, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Systems of oppression just entrenched so deeply. Yes. So but I feel like it only becomes, we only have this like countrywide awareness or maybe not even countrywide, like maybe people on the coast wide, like mm. awareness of how fucked the electoral college is every four years. It's like, we forget how terrible yeah. the electoral college is and forget, you know, like all of us go back to our lives and mm. we're like not, not lobbying or whatever we call it for, um, you know, trying to get rid of the electoral college and then the and then the election comes again and and we're like like, oh wait wait the person (laughs) who lost the popular vote is our president like how does this work yeah those sorts of you know yeah and it could happen again and again and again right yeah (laughs) so bonkers (laughs) I know I don't want to like derail our fiber conversation but I also I really appreciate being able to yeah, I'm glad that you, I'm glad you brought it up because I'm, yeah. <laughs> I love being able to go there with people. I mean, too bad this isn't going to come out like in two days. Everyone felt, but. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I wish I could like, we'll just unedit. Like, here it is. Here it is. It's all out. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be very, yeah. 
of course I, I remain, you know, fingers crossed. So hopeful that like, this will be the time we change it. And yeah, I don't know. I don't I know. I hope so. Yeah. And then if not, we'll like just have to keep getting involved locally, I think, right. and like figuring out what we can do in our communities. Right. Um, since voting isn't the be all end all, I guess. I right. guess that's the important thing to remember. <laughs> right. I mean, I think like something that's been nice about this year, if I can say it that way, is like it feels to me like I'm finding out about more mutual aid networks than I knew exist. Like maybe these things have just always existed and we never knew about them. Yeah. Like there's a lot have just grown. Right. Right. It seems like people are just like, I am now aware of a mutual aid network Mm -hmm. and therefore I can become part of it. Or, you know, whether that's as a person who donates or a person Mm -hmm. who volunteers. And Mm -hmm. I, have been thinking a lot about like local politics and and yeah. kind of the efficacy of local yeah. policy on on each yeah. community and what the purpose of that is and just how much that can impact yes you and your direct surroundings as opposed to yes. you know federal policy which of course has implications that can be absolutely fucked but i think from like a day-to-day context we you know there's like mm-hmm. so much change that can happen immediately um, and it's been really nice to see people. I feel like I've, I've learned about a lot more kind of like local organizing groups and people are really like, that seems like something people are really is now in the kind of cultural awareness, yes. which is cool. Yeah. I love yeah. that. It makes me happy. Thank so you. you're, you're in Brooklyn, right? Yes. I'm in Brooklyn. Um, have been back here for, I guess, two years, a little over two years. Two years before that, I was at RISD in Providence, and then I was in New York before that, and then I was upstate in Syracuse for undergrad. Oh. Yeah. You were? Wait, I totally thought that our (laughs) connection was like having Berkeley stuff. (laughs) Well, as someone from San Diego, two of my best friends did go to Berkeley, Um, so I like... Yeah. I mean, I went up there for a summer one year. I would go up like when my school got out or yeah, when my school got out after like, you know, June and just like hang out for like two weeks there. Yeah. And <laughs> I was like, so funny. I'm a little embarrassed because I just assumed that. Like I right, thought that that was our connection. <laughs> <Whoops>. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's so funny. Yeah. But I mean, I loved visiting Berkeley. Like I loved it. And at one point I was like, did I make a mistake by going to Syracuse? Mm. Because, you know, as a 17, 18 year old applying for school, I was like certain that I knew that I wanted to do architecture. So I like, Mm. I did my research. I found like the best architecture schools. And like, those are the ones that I applied to. And I wanted them to be like accredited. So I wouldn't have to do like, it's complicated, but for architecture, if you want to have like an accredited degree, then you need to do like a five years undergrad program or oh. a four year. And then you have to do three years for a master's. Oh, wow. Like be able to be licensed. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to get it all done. Cause I know this is what I want to do. And <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, life has just taken me on a different course. Yeah. So you, it sounds like you started to, to delve a little more into textiles at the end of college. Is that right? Yeah. Actually, like my very last semester, mm. I was like, I've been working so hard on like my architecture stuff. And like, I just want a studio course that isn't architecture studio, even though like <laughs> we yeah. had to take a studio every single semester for architecture. But I was like, I'm just going to do something different. Yeah. And a lot of my friends would do like ceramics or like take a painting class or like a drawing class. And I was like, I'm going to take weaving. Um, And I think it was kind of around the time where a lot of people started getting interested, you know, 2009, I think. Mm, Totally. Yeah. I think that's when I might've like started following you on Instagram and you started like doing like small classes for knitting 
it may have been a little maybe later, that's, yeah a little bit later but that's not like that kind of 2009 to 2013 region yeah. I think is like totally when weaving got like people yeah. started to take notice of weaving yeah on the so internet I, like, I guess yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly so I was like I'm gonna do this this course and see how it goes you know I just approached it as like something relaxing that yeah. I could do um and like the first time I finished setting up my loom, which, you know, it's a whole process. The first time I like sat down and I started weaving, I was just like, oh, this is magic. And I was like, I should have been doing this. Like Aww. I kind of, <laughs> I know, yeah. I knew like right away, I was like, I should have been doing this. Um, but I'm still like really grateful for my architecture education and yeah you know, the whole, the whole journey. <laughs> yeah. They all, you know, I think I might've spoken a little to this in the last episode with Ashlyn, Ashling, and, um, a little bit about just like moving to Australia. And a lot of people that I knew went to like RMIT, which has a, has a great textiles mm-hmm. program mm-hmm. and just feeling like really inadequate and like wishing I had an undergraduate degree in textiles. Like I wish that that had been a thing, you know, like I wish I had known that that was a possibility. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like, oh, wow. You could just literally study textile, like sustainable Mm -hmm. textiles. Mm -hmm. And that like was not on my radar. I knew I wanted to like do something quote environmental. Like I just, you know, I was raised with that kind of a white person in California type of, you know, yeah environmentalism so I was just like oh this would be great I should study environmental studies or environmental science or whatever and did environmental science which like you know that yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. okay yeah I was like also falling into place okay yeah I know I know (laughs) I was like explaining to one of you know we've had some shifts in the organization I work for recently and I was explaining my background Mm -hmm. and it's always funny to tell people what I do because I'm or what I did or whatever because people never expect that I like did a I did like a very rigorous science thesis on like conifer conservation and genetics and you know it's like there was totally this part of me that like especially right after college was like what the fuck did I just do yeah I have no I have like no skills like no hard skills I'm good at thinking I guess yeah what do people (laughs) typically do with that degree like, I'm sure it's like a whole bunch of things, but like, it, what's the track, use, you know? It was pretty funny because I don't know, a couple years after I graduated, three or four years after I graduated, I guess it must have been more like five years after I graduated. Um, they invited me back to do like a talk to us oh, about yeah, your panel. career path. Yeah. And everyone on that panel, except for me, had like really traditional environmental science career track path things yeah. like public policy is getting a PhD is working for a conservation Got arts, it. you know okay. you know Sierra okay. club or whatever you know, like oh, these really yeah. <laughs> like really run of the mill and at the time I was like working at a yarn store <laughs> and like and like a store that sold baby clothes because I couldn't yeah. make ends meet with just the one job running a podcast and teaching knitting classes yeah and I was like I think at the time I was like, I felt, I felt confident enough to be like, no, I know what I'm doing. And I know that like where I derive my value is not from the thing, like the day job, quote unquote. So it was, I felt okay. Kind of being like, this is what I do, but it's like such a funny, I don't know. It's, there was definitely this like existential period for me Mm. of like seeing other people who Mm -hmm. seem to really understand, like know exactly what they wanted to Mm do Mm -hmm. or who like got into it when they were 18 and were just like, yeah, now I'm, I'm like a water expert. Like I, I know everything about the watershed system in Peru and that's my expertise. Like, I just know it. And I was like, so specific. (laughs) Like, how did you decide that? Like, Yeah. I mean, Ashling, I listened to that episode too. And she was, she described it as like her mid twenties life crisis. Right. And I was like, I definitely experienced that. Yeah. I definitely, you know, like yeah. transitioning away from something that like was really clear was like, you're going to be an architect. There's like a very clear path. You like work, you get licensed in 
you know, when I was in eighth grade, I remember like we had an assignment planning out your life. And I was like, oh, I'm going to like go here. I'm going to like become an architect. I'm going to have my own office. Like I had this whole trajectory. And then I was like, I actually don't like doing this day to day. Like, yeah. And I worked at a great little office, you know, where I got to try a lot of different things. And we worked on a lot of different projects and my coworkers were great and my bosses were nice and I still felt lost, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so then you're like, Oh, <laughs> I've worked, I've worked for this and now I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know what yeah. I want to do. Yeah. And that's really scary because I think a lot of times, like you said, we fall into the trap of like thinking that our profession is like our worth or like our title is our worth. And yeah, I felt like I had to like grieve that part of who I was a bit and like Mm -hmm. let it go. Yeah. When it feels, I felt a little less pressure around this living in Australia for some reason. Mm -hmm. I didn't find people so often asked like what you do. Yeah. What do you do as their first question? Mm -hmm. It happened in like a bunch of dumb, like, networky spaces for the most part it was a little bit more like I don't know questions that were more about kind of the substance of who you are than just like how you spend 40 hours of your week yeah was nice I feel like that was it was like a nice way to be introduced to the working world and it's all it's also been pretty interesting coming back to the yeah (laughs) okay yeah no leave no paid anything okay great (laughs) cool how do people make this work at all but I don't know. So you took this weaving class and you had this like kind of aha moment. Mm -hmm. Did you make decisions from there or kind of what happened? No. So then I graduated and I worked for two years in the city and I got really sad. Like, you know, I was, I was like really anxious about my job and I just felt like like I wanted to be really good at something, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I realized like, I don't care how this like cabinet comes together. Like I don't care what hardware we choose. Like it's like, you know, like I do care about how it looks like and the idea behind it, but like getting down to like those little things, I was just like, I can't spend the rest of my life doing this and like worrying about those details when I look over at like Jeff who will stop me on the sidewalk be like hold on like this building is going up like can we just look at this for a second I need to figure out how like this is coming together and I wanted that like I wanted to care about something so much that like I loved the little the little pieces that make it up and I realized that that was weaving like I love yarn I love thinking about like dyes and yeah process and all those things and so I bought a loom Mm, like just like what kind of like a my first year I bought like a tapestry loom that like was like upright yeah I had like small frame looms and the tapestry loom was like not my jam so it just sat in the corner of my room but then we me and my roommates moved to like a new place and it had a larger, we moved from like Manhattan to Brooklyn. And I was like really excited to be in Brooklyn. We had more space. We had a living room and, you know, we had like this little area that I could put like a larger loom if I found one. So yeah, I bought a like four harness loom and I just like started weaving and that was probably like in March or something. And then, or maybe it was later, but like by the summer, I was like, I want to apply to school mm. um, and get my master's for textiles. So my I like talked to my bosses and they were really great. And I was like, can I like work four days a week and try to like make a portfolio and go back to school and they were so nice they were like you can work you know a total of like four days a week but like two will be half days so you can like come in later on in the day and like work in the morning so that's what I did for three months while I like built my portfolio up and like 
got all my material together to apply for schools. They're so nice. Like I'm so grateful to them. And then at the end of three months, I like started working again for full time and started doing my interviews for schools. Hmm. Yeah. And I remember going to like a open house night, I think November before applying, I went to like RISD to check it out. And I just like, whoa, like mm. these are my people, you know, like I hadn't felt that with architecture school. And then to like realize it there was like this, okay, I'm on the right track. Like mm. this is, this is the place. I'm like so excited, like walking around in the weaving studios and in the dye labs and just being like the possibilities are endless here. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. So that's super special. That's like such a, yeah, I'm like, I'm finding myself like feeling slightly envious being like, <laughs> I want that. That's amazing. <laughs> like, I don't, I remember feeling as a, as like a, you know, teenager walking into campus feeling like, Oh, I feel more at home here. This makes more sense. But mm -hmm. I think like there's something really special and specific about that. Like, oh, I think especially as an, as an adult yes. who's not like, yeah, mm -hmm. post-college, yes. like coming back, deciding, really making yeah. the conscious decision that like, oh, I am going to like invest in this education in this way that is, you know, like not like to the detriment of my career, quote unquote, but like, right. you know what I mean? Like it's, not, it's an investment people, that you really, yeah. yeah alongside right. you who are like still going and like, right. you know they're on their track. You're like, right. well, I'm just going to step off for a second and then I'll hop on and hopefully like I'll catch up or something, you know, whatever right. kind of like, right. Idea. Something like that. Exactly. I know. It's like funny too. Cause I find myself sometimes even doing like mental gymnastics of like, Oh, but that person is six years older than I am. So it's fine. It's yeah. so dumb. People who like yeah. have careers that are like yeah. quote unquote, more interesting than my own. I'm like, Oh, but they're older than I am. So it's, I, I got time. It's like I know. So we always have time. You know, right. till we don't, but like, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Until we die, which like, yeah, it's also a, you know, it's yeah. a little morbid, but it's an important piece of, yeah. The, I mean, yeah, there's still time to like go back to school. I remember there was an undergrad student who I think was in her fifties or something mm, That's so and cool. doing her, you know, textiles education. That's super so cool. Like, that's yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Too late. So what was it like? Can you tell me about the program? Yeah. So it's a small program. There's um, six people per year and there's two years, but wow. like master's program. Um, and you could choose your concentration, whether that was like knitwear or not knitwear, just like knits, weaving, printing. Mm. You just like hop in on your track. First semester, you take like eight harness loom weaving and then floor loom and then you do like the dobby loom and then you do jacquard loom the semester after that and then you're in your thesis and trying to figure out like what you're trying to say with all of this wow a really great experience and sometimes we would joke we're like you're my like most expensive friend you know because <laughs> like <laughs> we learn so much more from the cohort from like the group of people that you're with and like right. that's not like that's what you're paying for but in a way like I mean it's part I, of it for sure yeah, yeah like yeah. finding those people that you yeah. can still talk to on a weekly basis like I do with you know my good friend Winnie and like check in and see like what are you making this week like how right. are you doing and yeah that's kind of invaluable you know yeah which yeah. is so special yeah. I mean, I, I kind of felt like, you know, there's a lot in my education that I forgot, but there were like the bonds that I formed were really important to me. Mm -hmm. And even the folks that I've lost touch with, like they were really formative in mm -hmm. that time of my life. And like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it sort of kills me. Like the network or whatever is kind of a part of a, of the education that like you're paying I know. for. I know. But at the same time, like, I, a friend of mine named Catherine was, um, I like attended this kind of improvisation zoom workshop that like happened over a few days, cool. which was like an amazing use of zoom. I've never seen anybody use zoom as well as that group of improvisers did. Um, it was cool, but she was 
like one of the things we had is like a Slack channel for everybody. And one of them was called like network. And it, she like, she kind of put like this philosophy in, or these like, you know, posed some ideas into the chat originally that was like, you know, thinking about a net, like how does a net work and like, oh, yeah. sort of like connective yeah. and tethering and all yeah. the things that like, it sort of made me start to, you know, visualize a literal mm -hmm. net mm -hmm. and kind of thinking about how you can, um, conceptualize of a network in that way right. instead of it feeling automatically like kind of gross and slimy yes. and like exploitative it can yeah. actually feel like community-based yes and, and this like practice yeah. of reciprocal yeah. exchange yeah. and stuff yes I love that I love that so much and I do yeah. think like it's so important because you know you don't want to have to pay to find that network like right. that's what I think has been so important about like the mutual aid and, you know, just realizing how important it is to have like a, a group of creative people around you yeah, or not even like physically around you, but right. like online. Right. I mean, that's, what's kind of kept me going this year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I've been thinking a lot about that too. Cause it's not like, I don't, necessarily have the like social stamina or like extroverted energy to be able to like be super social all the yeah. time person but being having the ability to I mean it's complicated because it's on the one hand I love like the visibility that Instagram gives mm -hmm. me into like your life and what mm -hmm. you're working on mm -hmm. and other people's creative practices and stuff but at the same time it's yeah it can also be kind of extractive and like weird yeah. and sometimes I'm just like, I'm just observing everyone else's stuff and not, do I even have a brain of my own? Yeah. 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 And the other thing about it is like, we have the opportunity to be like really thoughtful about how we create those networks and who yeah. is a part of them and who you're like reaching out to and forming connections with. I mean, I just feel like that is so important. Yeah. I feel like that's a part of why I like hang, continue to hang around on Instagram, even though it's yeah. like the, you know, the connection is increasingly fraught with like yeah. capitalism, but it still enables me this, like, it sort of affords me this space to like find out about people who I wouldn't yeah. have otherwise known about, or, you know, artists who are in like totally yeah. different cities to me or people whose work is not that like well-known yet. And just mm -hmm. that sort of thing in a way that, I think the one of the reasons that I like don't delete it and permanently off my phone is I'm like, but what if I can't ever find a new podcast guest again? <laughs> Can you talk more about you were saying how it feels more fraught with capitalism like as you go? Oh yeah. I mean, I could speak to this for like literal hours. So I mean, I'm sure one hundred percent cut me off, please. I've been thinking a lot, particularly this year and over the past few months, about the way that um influencership mm. or whatever is so embedded within mm. the app now in a way yeah. that I don't feel like it was maybe even last year or maybe the year prior. Um, and the thing that I think frightens me most about influencer status or influencership is this sort of responsibility that we hold mm. to our audiences. Yeah. Like not all of us have the same code of ethics or yeah. code <laughs> for that responsibility. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I guess it feels more and more like people are taking the paid opportunities, yeah. which like, you know, on the one hand, I'm really for people being compensated fairly for yeah. their time, especially women, especially yeah. women of color. Like yeah. there's just, there's a lot of things that are kind of, again, fraught in that part mm -hmm. of it. Because on the one hand, it's like, yes, absolutely make your money. You got to do it. Yeah. But the piece that really frightens me about the Instagram version of marketing in particular is mm. the presumed friendship, the right. presumed knowledge of the person's right. life, the presumed like connection. Transaction. Right. It's like, I feel as a follower of yours that I mm -hmm. know you, even though yeah. I've never met you in person. And, and this yeah. I think is true for anybody who has like over a few thousand followers, you've got people that you don't know at all who consume your content. And if you're beholden to a specific set of ethics around how you share, mm -hmm. then maybe that's okay. 
but if you're not, and again, like these ethics, like I have my own personal kind of code of ethics that I stick to with Instagram and it's absolutely enabled by the fact that I like have a day job, right? Like, you know, that's like an intentional choice that I make so that I can choose not to feel like I need to sell to my audience. Right. You know, there's, there's like the brand that I work for. I was really careful not to disclose who that is because Mm -hmm. I didn't want my audience to be like, well, she works there. So it must be fine. Or like, I trust and not to like give myself too much weight, but just like, I know that I've spoken to my values. I know that I've spoken to how it is that I try to show up in the world. Yeah. So I don't want people to assume, like, I just, I want them to have, you know what I mean? I want them to have the opportunity to like, think through it for themselves. Right. As opposed to not giving like like a, you've given your stamp of approval. Right. And like, like, I definitely everything that that happens there must be okay because. Right. Right. That was a really long winded way to say that, but does that kind of make sense? Yeah. I mean, it's something that like, I'm thinking, I, you know. I always think about, I'm like, I feel like I'm really protective of my life. I like, don't really like sharing that much on Instagram, but at the same time, like people's lives are what make Instagram work, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like people Mm -hmm. want to know you personally, I feel like. Yes. And as someone who's like, just recently coming into this idea of being like an artist it's like at some point like you have to sell your work and you have to sell your art and like that just it's a really strange thing to navigate yeah so there has to be like another way you know (laughs) I know and I just haven't I haven't been able to discern what that's going to look like I'm sure someone amazing will imagine a new future Mm -hmm. or someone's amazing will imagine Mm -hmm. some kind of future state because I just feel like Instagram right now is like the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it's there. We all have it. It's the barrier to posting content is low because you have this ability to like either post a picture with a caption or even easier post a story and it goes away. So you don't even have to think about whether the lighting is good or whatever, which I actually really enjoy and has been like a freeing part of being Mm -hmm. able to share the kind of very mistake laden process that I have mm-hmm. of like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm sewing in the dark. It's bad. It looks <laughs> gross. Here it is. You know, like yeah. this like very trial and error process that feels important to me to share because it's not, I don't see it a lot. Like I see a lot of people who are like, I'm great. Look at this. Mm-hmm. I made this and I'm great. And I'm like, that's yeah. great. And I'm really happy for you. But like, there are lots of us who just like, don't know what, like, you know, we're, we're making it up as we go where, you know, learning, you know, again, this comes back to my, like, I don't have any kind of formal education in this. I have all of the bits and pieces that I've gathered along the way. I kind of want to like normalize or, um, legitimize if that's even a thing, like that, that way of, of experiential learning type. Yes. Yeah. So my, my thought process around this has been, okay, well, what's like the next closest thing to like still being able to engage with an audience regularly. And it feels like a newsletter is like the only other thing I can think of. That's what I've been thinking about. Yeah. So my one, my concern with this, and I'd be curious to hear what you think too, is like part of why I still Instagram is because the pressure is low. There's not again, like I don't have to <laughs> that's take. That's great. I, I don't feel the same way. That's, okay. That's super yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, maybe I've been just at it for long enough. No, I'm yeah. Like, oh. That's so cool. <laughs> that's interesting. Cause for me, yeah. it feels like I post when I feel like it. I don't yeah. like, I'm not trying to gain followers. Like it's, yeah, know, yeah. it's a very unscientific thing and it's not about marketing anything. It's just about posting whatever I feel like posting. So mm-hmm. it's, it feels very easy for the most part. And, yeah. uh, I tend to have a lot to say clearly. So I like, you know, <laughs> it's somewhere for me to like expose those thoughts to, yeah. the, to the world, the yeah. small world and, and get engagement with them. So yes. that feels nice. That's like a nice experiential thing where I get to like yeah. connect with people, right? Like right. I'm pretty introverted. I don't really like going out places. It's nice Same. to talk to people on the internet. <laughs> But what I wonder about with like a newsletter is any time that I've like tried to set up any kind of cadence, like regular cadence yeah. besides the podcast, basically, 
I've never really been able to stick to like, okay, I post weekly on a blog or I, you know, send out a newsletter every month or whatever. Like it's just suddenly I get all like choked up or -hmm. or something and I can't Mm -hmm. figure out what the right thing to write is, or, you know, it's like, it feels like it's too specific and I just can't, I don't know. I feels like, what would I even put in a newsletter? Like, (laughs) this is what I did this week. Here's some like janky iPhone photos. (laughs) They're kind of grainy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess the reason that I've been thinking about it is like Instagram, like the feed, I guess, feels like yeah. a place to show like your work or like a person's work. Right. You know? And there's so much that goes into what I'm thinking about as I'm making that like I don't want people to like see my feed and like think that that was mine. I don't want not that I'd like don't want to be associated with it, but I just don't want to take credit for it. I see. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I love seeing inspiration Instagrams, you know, yeah. that, like aggregate beautiful photos. But for someone that's interested in like sharing their own perspective, it doesn't feel right to do that. I see. You know? Yeah, I think so. I, I would tend to like, I can think back to like your profile and there's always you know, there's places where you're like speaking to the inspiration from your mm-hmm. architectural background or these beautiful, like, yeah, the beautiful there's like imagery a, of like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I, but then I feel like weird doing that because mm. <laughs> I don't want it to be like confusing. Right. But I do want to share what's going on in the process. Right. Right. And in a way that like tells the full story of like things that I'm like working through or thinking about. So yeah, long form sounds good for you. Like it feels yeah. like that could be, you could kind of have like an interesting batch of images and, and text, like mm-hmm. just your thoughts to go along with it. I think that that would be cool. Yeah. And writing too, like, yeah, that's part of my process. Right. And I've shared like one piece that I've written, but mm-hmm. it felt like really scary. And luckily everyone was like so kind and gave me so much great feedback on it which felt really like touching but yeah I don't know I guess like I really admire the freedom with which you approach Instagram and yeah just like doing you thanks (laughs) (laughs) if it's funny it feels like like Josh and I talked a lot about this when I was when we were early in our relationship and he was kind of like you do this thing that seems really brave to me. You just like, you just, you're, you're just yourself and you go like post it on the internet. And I was like, I, I just didn't, it didn't ever, it never really occurred to me, you know, it was just yeah. like, I have, I lack a filter for the most part, <laughs> for better or worse, obviously yeah. that has its own challenges, but it's just been how I've, you know, just like how I am in person yeah. and online. And, and of course, like, I, w- I will say something that I'm glad that's happened over the course of the last few years of existing online is I think I've started to learn for myself what's an appropriate amount of sharing and mm. details of sharing what's mm-hmm. going on in my life. Like I still feel that I'm being candid and honest, but I'm right. not necessarily vomiting onto the internet, yeah. which I'm calling myself out for having done in the past. Like I think there were definitely times where I was like, I need I need support. And yeah. I wish that at the time I'd had yeah. more support yeah. within my community, right. you know, therapy, whatever it was. Right. Like, I just didn't feel that I had the support that I needed. So I was like, internet, please validate me. Like I'm hurting on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But you yeah. know, what's funny about, you know, you thinking there's no reason to like do it any other way is I think on the other side of that, it's like having formal training and this thing that you're like mm-hmm. posting about or right. sharing about, it's like, you are really aware and you're like, you are critical of it in right. like a very, you know, I don't want to say it's like more rigorous, but like, you no, know, it is just literally more rigorous. <laughs> you've had like, you've yeah. been trained into this thing. Right. And you have to do some like work to undo that, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. just say like, what I'm doing is fine. Like it's valid. And you know, who cares if like my old professors wouldn't like it or like would say X, Y, Z about it. That's not the point, you know? Right. right. Well, and I imagine too, that there's, I don't know if this is true at the college level, but I would imagine there's like a level of colleges needing to probably catch up to what it is to be like a, an artist in 2020. Like 
yeah. to exist on the internet, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, RISD for the master's program, they kind of specifically don't admit people who want to be artists. They hmm. want people who are planning to go into industry kind of. Yeah. When I graduated, that's what I was looking for. I wasn't like looking to start a studio practice. Yeah. It's just something that like I've been feeling the desire to do and like building that into, you know, having the day job, having this practice and yeah. trying to like build a body of work on the side that, right. you know, who knows where it could lead me, but yeah. Yeah. So what does that look like for you? You're, you're a, a few days a week at, at your day job and then yep. you have a studio practice. What's that all like? So when I first graduated, I was like, I'm going to make garments. This is what I want to do. And mm. I, I did like the whole process that RISD like teaches you to do. It's like sampling and like right. you get all your yarns and you do tests and then you're going to make your final like product. So I did that. Like that was my like project, my big project. And it was really hard to like be motivated, honestly, mm. like for the first year outside of school. Yeah. I think that happens like you know, with a lot of us who graduated, it's just, you kind of get really burnt out. Right. So it took a long time. Um, and I was just also just enjoying having more free time and I was knitting more again and like having fun with sewing projects and just trying to figure out like, what am I doing? Like, what is the path that I'm going forward on? And you know, when I graduated my master's program, I was working as an intern at CZH like mm. one day a week. <laughs> and um, I was also working at like Eileen Fisher oh. like three days a week because I was like, I need to make money. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, from there, like Caroline was like, okay, like we need to start paying you. Also, like, do you want to start coming in more? I feel like there's a lot that like you could be doing, which is really cool. So eventually I, you know, left the retail position. So then I was just kind of like balancing those things, trying to fit in little projects and like doing, you know, work on my frame loom. My loom that I had bought before was like the four harness one. So it had been taken apart at RISD and like stored under my bed. I put it back together when we got here to Brooklyn to work on this thing. And it was just like, it was huge. And I felt like I couldn't do the types of things that I wanted to on that loom, mm. you know? Yeah. So I bought, I actually think it's like 12. I have 12 harnesses on it right now, but I think it can go up to 16, 16 harness floor loom from the textile art center. Oh, cool. They like posted on Craigslist one day, probably at like 11 and I saw it and I was like, I'm coming tomorrow. Like, <laughs> so I called them like as soon as they open in the morning and they're like, yeah, I mean, come by whenever, but someone's going to come by to see it at like 10. And I was like, okay, I'm heading there like right now. So I like snagged that. And yeah, so I finished making the garments or not the garments, Luckily, someone else is going to be making those. Nyla, uh, sewing oh, archives. Yeah. Yay. Which oh, has yeah. just been incredible. Um, like just the idea that they're finally going to be made because after I finished making them, they were just like sitting, they've been sitting in my house for so long. Um, so slowly, like she is starting on three of them now. Mm. But yeah, that's really cool. So you wove yeah. the fabric for them and you've, you've got the designs in mind. Is that how that yeah. has worked? Cool. Yes. Cool. Yeah. So now like we did a muslin and she's like so impeccable with her sewing. I, I knew that like the original plan was like, I'm going to sew them. And that's why I was like learning how to sew and right. trying to do that. And then I realized like, actually not, not that I'm bad at it, but I don't, I'm not going to get the quality that like I want right from them right so I'm gonna have to wait to find the right person yeah and then I did just because we're neighbors and like oh. we went to school together at Syracuse oh. but like she was in fashion and I was in architecture so like we cool. didn't really like talk that much but we both knew of each other and yeah anyways so since March um and being home, I just really wanted 
and felt like I needed to be making stuff. Yeah. Everything comes full circle, you know, yeah. being like super anxious. It yeah. felt like <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> here's something that I can like put my restless energy into and like everything that I was feeling have been feeling this year. Like here's a place that I can like direct that. Yeah. Um, so I just was like, I'm just going to make one thing a week and, you know, weaving is so slow. So that even then it's like, sometimes I don't do that, especially with like larger projects or if I'm dying stuff. Mm. But the goal was like, just make one thing and try not to come up with the plan before. Um, mm. Cause that's what I realized was really difficult with weaving the yardage was that I had like I had all my samples made and then it just became like making it like mm. without being, I don't know, integrated with the work and like getting feedback as you go and adjusting. And so I was like, just go into things without having the idea, right. see where it takes you. And yeah, after a few weeks of that, I was like on my loom and I called Jeff over and I was like, Jeff, come over here. And he's like, okay. I'm like, look, like, look what I just made. I feel like I had a breakthrough. And he's like, yeah, looks cool. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you don't get it. And I was like, trust me, like, this is pretty cool. Um, and so I just started on like this little body of work, which is like the figures that I've been working on, which actually really talked to or speak to the work that I was doing for my thesis. Like each of my thesis pieces was based off of like a person and memories associated to them. Mm. They were kind of like garments, sculpture kind of, if that makes sense. But these really started to feel like like the embodied form, you know, mm. in a more abstract way, I guess, like taking the colors and taking, yeah. And they just felt like right you know? Yeah. So I've been getting back into like writing and thinking about like the day to day. And that was a really good practice. I'm so grateful for that class at RISD, which was like, take observations of your day and mm -hmm. like, what is coming up? And like, right. what are you, what are you like looking at and interested in? And so that has been like the growing part of my art practice and I have like so many things that I want to make now, which is that's really cool. Super exciting. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of what you're presently working on. Yeah. Those. Oh. And I have some, like, it's so funny, like just trying to figure out what your voice is quote unquote, like, yeah, like that really speaks to what I want to be putting into the world. But there's also just like getting down to it. What else do I love is just like color and materials. So there's, a step more, I would say like abstracted, which are going to be like stretched pieces. Mm. And I'm also excited about those and I'm dying stuff. And Ooh. yeah, so I'm, I'm excited for hopefully one day having a show when yeah. the world kind of opens back up again. Yeah. And it's gonna not ask. just like photographing them and figuring yeah. out how to do it and try not to get ahead of myself. I was like, you know, I don't know where I'm going to show this work. Like all I know is right. I want to show it but I trust that it'll happen. Right. <laughs> right. No, I think that that's a perfect approach because it's not like, it, it's like you're speaking to as well of like the work being responsive and yeah. you being available to that, to being responsive mm -hmm. to things. I think like that's, I think that's something I've been thinking about this year too, is just kind of um, both like responsiveness over reactivity. Mm -hmm. I feel like reaction mm. is like, the sort of default in American yeah. culture. And I like want to be responsive instead yeah. of reactive and yeah. Thoughtful and taking your time and right. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And just like being open to being responsive to things changing and yeah. Being willing to kind of go with that. I feel like yeah. that's a little bit like with dying and not necessarily knowing exactly yeah. how it's going to turn yeah. out and stuff. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I was like, I, had the tendency to try to plan stuff. Yeah. And I was talking to Winnie this week and I was like, look at these like sketches that I made. And she's like, yeah, that's great. And I was like, yeah, that's great. Right. And she's like, yeah. And then, you know, 
as always, it'll probably change. And that's like, you're totally right. Because as you said, with dyeing, you don't get the right colors exactly. Right. And you're, right. you know, with weaving, your colors change because of the warp in the weft and how those two interact. So right. you have to be flexible and like not too attached, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> to things. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 Being willing to for the outcome to change or go mm-hmm. differently and not mm-hmm. always work as yeah. you expected. Yeah. And also with those like um more like form like weavings every time I take them off the loom they are something completely different than I expected so Mm. I I just have to like sit with them for a while and I'm like oh I don't like this like what (laughs) happened (laughs) and then you know just also being aware that like the process doesn't end there right you know like you can still go back into the piece and change cut them and like bind them and whatever like that's all fair game no rules right I think that is something in particular about fiber arts that I like because it's sort of I mean you can change you can I'm sure you can change I don't know certain things in paintings and drawing yeah it feels like with fiber it's like especially with knitting or oh something, yeah it's like I'm unravel that it's just like okay yeah <laughs> new Try thing again. that didn't work yeah yeah which is really yeah. neat I like that a lot always learning you know yeah <laughs> oh yes <laughs> every day. Well, I'm very excited to see what comes out of all of this this year, whether it's, you know, in person or yeah, photographed or yeah, you writing a newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Ani. This is so nice. Yeah. So lovely to see you. Hopefully we get to see each other soon. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. The Close Knit Podcast is hosted by me, Ani Lee. A huge thank you to Andrew Bruce for writing podcast theme music that makes me genuinely smile every time I hear it. And giant thanks to my amazing producer, Amelia Harubi. You can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash close knit.